Well, as we get started this morning, let me uh, make one quick announcement that I want you to be aware of. Um, we uh, have officially begun the process of identifying who might serve in that pastoral position we mentioned to you in the fall of the family care and education pastor. Uh, you've been important in that process uh, up until this point, and we would ask that you continue to do so. Just so you'll know, there's a search team in place that includes the elders, uh, along with uh, two men who have volunteered to, to join us, and Matt Wade and Russell Thomason. So we uh, will now begin accepting uh, uh, resumes from both internal and external con- candidates simultaneously. And so uh, we want you to know that the search team really is an extension of this body. And so here's how we would ask that you continue to, to participate with us. The first way is obvious. We've mentioned it from the very beginning, and that is to pray and to pray diligently and to pray specifically that we would be able to identify the man that God has in mind for this body at this time. And we would ask that you do that consistently. And the other thing is, is we would want you to be an ambassador. Uh, one of the things is, is we know that uh, a lot of people come to Melanie Park from a variety of different uh, church bodies um, and, and many times those are very like-minded with who, with who we are uh, as a church body. And so if you have, through your circle of influence, people that you know, uh, people in positions of authority that you can let them know about what we're doing, um, our desire is to hire somebody as known to us as possible. Uh, and that may be through you. And so we would just ask that you play that role as well as an ambassador uh, for Melanie Park as we pray together as we uh, hope to find... Uh, this person that he has in mind. So we would ask you to do that. Well, with that being said, let's uh, get started. I mentioned last week uh, we will begin uh, what will be an eight-week series on the the topic of marriage. Uh, We don't normally do topical series uh, at Melanie Park. I'll explain to you why this is different uh, as we go through this. But let me first address one of the things that my own son brought to my attention after I made this announcement last week. We got home, and Graham said, Great, Dad. I'm going to be in church for the next eight weeks, and you're going to talk about something that has no relevance to me whatsoever. And, he, you know, okay, it's a valid question. So let me give you the answer that I gave to him as to why that's not necessarily the case. And that what we will talk about really does apply to every single person, and I'll tell you why. The first is obvious in terms of its application. It does apply. Uh, most specifically to those of us who are married or those who desire to be married someday. That in and of itself takes a lot of people into account. But let me tell you how everyone is included. I believe firmly that the principles that are applied in God's creative design of the marriage relationship have application in a large number of other relationships across the full spectrum of humanity. And we see the Bible speaking to some of those as it applies those principles. We see it when it talks about the the parent-child relationship. We see those same principles applied to the employer-employee relationship. We see those principles also applied in citizen and government relationship. We see the same principles applied in church governance between elders and, and the church body. And so as you think about that, you see that that really should take care of all of us, shouldn't it? If you're married, want to be married, you're a part of a family, have a job, live in America, or go to church. Does that leave anybody out? Okay? 
So this really does have application to each and every one of us. So let me encourage you, don't check out. When you hear that topic, realize that there is something that is intended to be meaningful and relevant to wherever you are in your stage of life. And I promise you, I have that in mind every Sunday when I come up here to speak to you about this topic. But why this topic? Why now? Well, probably the easiest way to answer that, the best and most relevant reason is because it is the single most significant shepherding issue that we face in this church. And whatever is number two is a distant second. And it has been that way for years and years and years. It's impacting our church home. And so it wouldn't be good if we ignored that reality. And the worst mistake we can make, as you hear me say that, is to think of someone else as if it's their problem and not yours. Because I need you to know that no one is immune. Marriage takes work. No matter how good your marriage is, it still takes work. And it is a relationship worth fighting for. And fortunately, the Bible doesn't leave us to ourselves. It gives us lots of information and and guidance as to how we are to live in the fullness of what God has created. And so I want us to kind of have this attitude that we're going to do this together, that we're going to be in this with each other. Because let me just ask this point, there's this question just as a point of clarification. Is there, are there, let me just see a show of hands if you would. Any perfect husbands, perfect wives, perfect moms, perfect dads, perfect kids, anybody who's got this thing down with no mistakes or errors? Okay, good. We're all in. And so if that's the case, let me urge you to make sure that this topic and the conversation therein does not die on Sunday. It needs to go well beyond what happens over the next 30 or 45 minutes. And so in order to help you with that, I've done a couple of things. First of all, in your bulletin, you're going to find an insert. As you know, as tradition, I usually put a, a, an outline in the bulletin for you, but I've created a separate insert, and the reason is I want you to take it out and keep it with you. On one side, you'll see the sermon outline, and I urge you to take notes, just things that impact you personally as you listen to what's being said. On the other side, you're going to see questions for continued conversation. And my expectation and hope and prayer for you is you'll take that and use it as a tool as you visit with those that you spend time with. Most specifically, husbands and wives, this is yours. Take this and talk through it. Now, I've created the questions, though, so that you, whether you're married or not, can have this conversation with somebody that you are in a friendship relationship with. And you can walk through these questions together. I would even go as far as to say this is so important. I would ask that over the next eight weeks that every small group meeting begins with some discussion about what's said on Sunday morning. And you might just use those first two questions that are on there, right? What impacted you most? And is there anything that we need to unpack a little further? And those are some examples of ways that this goes beyond what happens on Sunday morning. And with all I have, I urge you to use it as it's intended for that purpose. Let me say here, 
that um, my goal is simple. And I want to be clear about this. It is my desire as we go through this study to elevate the sanctity of marriage to its proper alignment with its biblical priority. It is my desire to elevate the sanctity of marriage to be in proper alignment with its biblical priority. Because let's face it, we don't have to look very hard at the world around us to see how marriage is increasingly devalued in our culture and across the world. In recent years, we've had this ongoing debate about the redefinition of the marriage relationship as if Scripture wasn't clear enough that the marriage is between one man and one woman for an entire lifetime. It's the foundational relationship according to God's creative order. And when you change that definition, you change everything. It's that significant. But before we even got into that conversation about redefining the marriage relationship, it had already become optional. Because one out of every two people in our society live together before committing themselves to a marriage relationship. One out of every two people live together before committing themselves to a marriage covenant. And and so you can imagine all that entails. As a result, because of that reality, one of the other things that we know to be true is that physical intimacy before marriage has become a normal and accepted practice to the point that statistics tell us 80% of those who identify themselves as Christians, 80% of those who identify themselves as Christians between the ages of 18 and 29 say that they've been physically intimate with somebody before they got married. 80%. And so now you can understand why people look at that idea of abstinence and say, oh, that's silly. Because everybody's doing it. Why would you want to tell them abstinence? Why get so worked up about this whole marriage deal? Because the fact is, one out of every two end in divorce anyway. It's sobering, isn't it? To to really come to grips with the reality of where we are. Because from the world's perspective, as they look at the marriage relationship, it's just not that big of a deal. And I believe in part that's driven by what exists in our Western culture, our part of the world, where we have this mindset that the marriage relationship is a a contract between two people, primarily for the purpose of personal growth, personal security, and personal satisfaction. But that's not the purpose of marriage in its original design. Because if that's the definition that we're going to apply to marriage, let me ask you, who's the most important person? I am. I am. This is about me. It's not about God and His design and His purpose. This is about me and my happiness. To the point that Tim Keller, in a great book that he wrote called The Meaning of Marriage, he says this, He says, marriage used to be a public institution for the common good. 
And now it is a private arrangement for the satisfaction of individuals. He says marriage used to be about us. Now it's about me. That's the reality that we live in. And this growing perspective reduces marriage to a base level beyond the recognition of its original design. And I need to tell you with utmost conviction that the beauty of the marriage relationship is beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And the reason that I am convinced of that truth is because I believe that marriage was created by an infinite God to represent the radiant beauty of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Marriage was created by an infinite God to represent the radiant beauty of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that important. And because of that, built within the marriage relationship is a magnitude of goodness that could not be, could not be understood in a lifetime's work. It's that good. And for us to experience the wonder of what God has created, we, we need to understand and follow His divine design. I've had ex, uh, heard it explained this way. If you had somebody who designed a, a car, and they constructed and, and designed that engine uh, piece by piece, and they know how it works inside and out. But you and I go and buy that car. And we don't have that same knowledge as they do. So what they do is they create an owner's manual, right? And that owner's manual is intended to help you understand how to care and protect what has been created for your benefit. And as long as you follow that owner's manual, it works just like it's supposed to. But as soon as you either ignore or reject those instructions, that engine's going to ultimately fail. It won't work unless you follow the way it was designed to work to begin with. The same is true with marriage. God is the designer. I hope you will see with utmost clarity this morning, He created marriage. And then He gave us an owner's manual. And in this owner's manual are the instructions of the way it was intended to work. And when we follow them, it's beautiful. When we ignore them, it's destructive. And so we want to walk through that together to understand what he has in mind. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, this is your topic, your creation, your design. It is our desire this morning to understand with clarity what you did and why you did it. What was your purpose and how is it accomplished? So as we walk through this together as a church body, both now and through the week, I pray that we are in awe of the beauty and magnitude, the scope of what you've done for such a significant purpose. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If we'll turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at the, the details of God's creation of the marriage relationship. And, and there really are a couple of accounts in Genesis. We're looking at the second. 
and here's how I would explain the difference. You know, if you buy like a lawnmower and you look at the front page or the cover, it has a picture of that lawnmower, doesn't it? You open it up and inside there, at some at page one or two typically, there's kind of a blown up schematic that has all the parts of how this thing is to be assembled to give you what you see on the front page of that manual. Well, the verses that we'll look up this morning uh, first in chapter 2 are kind of that blown up schematic. It's a parts list. It shows you how everything connects to each other. What we'll look at next in, in Genesis 1 is kind of the picture. Here's what it looks like. And then here's what's included. This is uh, what it's looked like. This is how it's made. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Read that with me. It says, that, Then the Lord uh, said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable to him. Now, remember, this is kind of the expanded view. We're getting a little inside information as to how things were created. And one of the things that I want you to notice is that in verse 18, God is aware of something that he wants Adam to understand. God already knows something to be true that he wants Adam to learn. And so what he does is he takes all the animals and he says he presents them to Adam and Adam goes through them one by one and gives them names. And then when it's all said and done, Adam is finished and he realizes something's still missing. Adam is beginning to understand what God already knows to be true. Something's missing. And it's interesting if you think about that, that here's Adam in paradise, literally. He's walking in perfect fellowship with God and yet there's something missing. And so what that tells us is that that God created us in such a way that there is this need built within man to be in a relationship with someone else in humanity. We were built with a need for relationship within humanity. There was none suitable for him because he, at this point in time, was the only human alive. And and I want you to know that God didn't get to this place and go, oh, man, I didn't think about that. He's alone. This is an expanded view. Okay? He knew this all along, and I'll show you how we know that's true. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Here's the picture before the parts list. It says in verse 26, Then God said, this was his plan all along, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. He says, let us. Make man in our image according to 
our likeness and let them rule over the earth. We see already that God has this in mind, doesn't he? But who's us? Let us make man in our image. Who's that? That's God in perfect fellowship within the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us, God in Trinity, perfect fellowship, make man in our image of perfect fellowship. Nothing was created by God out of a personal need for something that was missing in his life. He is completely fulfilled within the self-sacrificing love of that perfect fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But as we will learn in 1 John, when we look at that letter together, it says that God is love. And so what that tells us is that He was perfect within Himself, but the love was of such magnitude, it flowed out of Him to create all that exists in love. And we were made in that image of perfect, self-sacrificing, loving fellowship. His original plan was to create male and female in the image of perfect fellowship. God knew something that He wanted Adam to learn. You were made, He tells Adam, to be in relationship with another. Look back over at chapter 2 again. Verse 21. Actually, no. I want to read you a different verse. Go back to verse uh, chapter 1, verse 28. Let's just finish this out. It said, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I've given you, both man and woman, every plant of the uh, yielding seed that is in on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed and it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And here's the key, verse 31. And God saw that all that he had made and behold, It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Notice that in that parts list, it said God looked upon man and said it's not good for man to be alone. But yet we read in here when we understand his original purpose all along, when he created man and woman and saw them together, what does he say? It is very good. Not good for man to be alone, but very good for man and woman to be together. That's because they were created out of and for the purpose of fellowship. Equal in dignity and value. As we see in these verses, both blessed by God, both given purpose, both living under the provision of God, uniquely created in all of God's creation. There's no evolution here. Man, woman, created by God with a redemptive purpose in mind, having been made specifically for one another. I'll show you 
what I mean by that. Turn over to chapter 2, verse 21. So God has brought the animals to Adam. He's looked at all of them. He's concluded at the end of it, there's something missing. God knew it all along. But now Adam understands, and so look what God does next. It says, So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which was taken out from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It says that God fashioned what had been missing as a suitable helper for the man. That idea of suitable means a corresponding complement. God created what he knew Adam needed that Adam now understood. Because who they are together is better than who they were alone. And let me remind you that this is a pre-fall creation. So sin is not in the picture. And what that tells me is that neither man nor female had some design flaw. God created them for the purpose of fellowship in the image of fellowship and they are exactly as He intended them to be. Not alone, but together in relationship with one another. God fashioned them so that what one might lack, the other would would supply. They were made from and for one another. Like I said, verse 19, God brought, you notice, all the animals to Adam. But then look at verse 22. He says that then, after having created the woman, he brought her to the man. And I didn't write this book, but if it were me, verse 23 would be in all caps. And if you look at the Hebrew language, it is statements of exclamation. Basically, Adam had concluded there's something missing. God caused the sleep to fall. He woke up. God presented the woman and he said, this is it. This is it. This is what my heart desired. Nothing else could do it. This is it. It's an exclamation, an immediate recognition that that is what his heart longed for. That's what was missing. Unlike everything else, she is like me. And now Adam understands what God knew all along. And so God gives him, as he had done early, that authoritative role of naming what he had then created. You notice that, that God didn't give that responsibility to Adam for everything. God named the land and the sea. God named the night and the day because God is the only one who has dominion over those things, not us. But when it came to what he created in the animals and now what he created in this woman, he tells Adam, it is your responsibility. Give her a name. And when he does, he derives her name from his own. You notice it says there, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He understands. She was made from me and for me. This is God's design. This is it. Man was created first. 
woman created as a suitable helper. Both belong to God. Equal in value, but unique in purpose. And that purpose has a redemptive goal in mind. Look at verse 24. It says, For this cause... A man shall leave his father and his mother, and they shall cleave, and he shall cleave to who? His wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Marriage is God's idea. This is his design. One man, one woman for a lifetime. In order for this relationship to exist as he designed it, he says there's a couple of things that need to happen. They need to leave, and they need to, to cleave to one another. This idea of, of leaving is intended to, to communicate a, a God-ordained priority. This relationship is to be set apart from all others. As time goes on, families will come into being, and, and, and kids will be raised. But he says, but when that man is old enough to enter into that relationship of marriage, they are to leave their father and mother and cleave to their wife, and become one flesh. See, when that happens, the husband and wife no longer live under the authority of their respective mother and father. Now, they should honor and respect them, but what God is saying in this verse is that the marriage relationship has a primary obligation to one another as priority over all other relationships. Parents, children, Job, hobbies, pets, nothing else compares to the priority relationship that, that, that God gives to husband and wife. And that's because marriage changes everything. It says they are to leave and cleave. That word cleave literally means to be glued to. And so let me ask you, have you ever had something that you glued together that you intended to take apart? No, what we glue together is intended to be permanent. But God has glued together. Let no one separate. How many of you uh, have a tradition of putting jigsaw puzzles together over the holidays? You have a lot of extra time and you're wondering things to do. We did that when we were kids uh, at times. And this, this year, we, uh, my brother bought a five-pack of jigsaw puzzles. You know, five for the price of one. So anyway, we were busy putting jigsaw puzzles together. And Donna will remember this because she was the one who really put in the hours of work on this one. It was a beautiful puzzle that had a great picture to it. But here was the challenge of the puzzle. <laughs> Every piece was shaped exactly the same. Yeah. They didn't realize that until they were in the middle of it going, wait a second. <laughs> These all look the same. But they spent hours and hours putting this puzzle together. You know what they wanted to do when they were done? Glue it. Glue it. We don't want to take... This thing needs to stay just like it is. It looks great. Don't take it apart. That's the way God looks at the marriage relationship. Glue it. It looks great just the way He designed it. Don't take it apart. Cleave. Separate from what was intended to be temporary in that family relationship to enter into what is intended to be permanent. Marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. And then we see in the end of verse 24 a, a special provision that's meant exclusively for the marriage relationship when it says that the two 
shall become one flesh. That one flesh does speak of the, the physical intimacy between a man and a woman, but, but that's not all. There's a whole lot more included in that. We know that that's the case because you can look in Scripture and there's a, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians that we'll unpack a little more later on, but it talks about how a man can enter into a, a one-flesh relationship with a prostitute. But he says that, that that is a sinful thing to do because it disrupts what God intended that relationship to be like in the first place. And here's why. The one-flesh relationship was purposely designed for the covenant relationship of marriage because built within it, he wanted to protect the redemptive purpose that it was created for. See, the Bible holds up the sanctity of marriage because there's much more at stake than personal fulfillment and happy families. Much, much more. And we've already begun to see some of those pieces of that puzzle being put together. We'll learn this later on, but when it talks about leave and cleave, and it chooses those terms specifically, those are covenant terms. We'll understand what that means next week. It's a marriage relationship, as we've seen, that is to be set apart from all others, built from and for fellowship with one another. As we'll see in Ephesians chapter 5, we know that ultimately that design intended to portray and present an image of that self-sacrificing, loving relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. Here's the key. Listen to this. Marriage and the gospel of Jesus Christ explain one another. That's pretty important. Marriage and the gospel of Jesus Christ explain one another. Marriage is sacred to God because what He built into it was intended to give us a betrayal of His love for us. And as I thought about this, and I'll think on it some more, and you can talk to me about it if you want to, but, but my conclusion is this, that marriage was created before the fall, but for the fall. Because it had a redemptive purpose in mind. When this most important relationship is lived out as God designed it, it reveals a picture of His redemptive love like nothing else in this world can do. It's that significant. And the world, as we've said, has has degraded the sanctity of marriage from what we see in Scripture to be of great significance. And don't think that's an accident. Because if there's anything the enemy can do to disrupt the betrayal of that self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ, he will literally be hell-bent on making sure that happens. Because there's a lot at stake here. The enemy intends to destroy and disfigure what God intended to portray the love of Jesus Christ. 
And my response to that is, may it never be. May it never be. And, and here's some things in closing that I would ask that you take away and begin to process in order to, to live that out. And this first one really is specific to those of us who are or intend to be in a marriage relationship, and it is this. Let's make sure that we elevate the marriage relationship to its rightful place of biblical priority. And what that means is that we need to to guard and protect what God has given us as a relationship between a husband and wife that, that does bless our life, but ultimately is intended to bring Him glory. And it's only the miraculous work of God that can do both simultaneously. But it only works when we follow His design. So don't settle in. Don't get comfortable. It's so comfortable that the priority of the marriage relationship somehow falls behind other relationships. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had and even dealt with in my own life where certain things begin to take a higher priority. And we hear things like, well, if we could just get our career started and get that established, then we can really focus on each other. Well, we've got kids, and well, we need to raise those kids up. So we're just going to really pour our lives into these kids, and, and once we raise them up, then, then we can really start paying attention to, to each other. Don't make that mistake. The Bible says that the marriage relationship is intended to supersede all other relationships. And I'll tell you this with utmost certainty. The best way that you can love your kids is love your spouse. There is no greater gift that you give to them. Elevate the marriage relationship to its rightful place of biblical priority. And this one really applies to all of us and we'll unpack this a little bit deeper as we go along, but I think we need to appreciate in God's design how all relationships and primarily the marriage relationship, but it applies universally to all relationships, they have one thing in common, and it's this. They possess the power to change you. (laughs) They possess the power to change you. And I believe that that was built in there purposefully by God. And when you follow His design, that change has an end of an ultimate good that blesses your life and honors Him in ways that you could never ask or imagine. But listen to this. If you reject or deny that instruction, it will still change you. But you will become something other than what God intended you to be. And in many cases, it's not pretty. So make sure that we understand the inherent power in all relationships. And that is, they possess the power to change us. Follow His design to experience the greater good. Ignore His design and face destruction. It's not good for man to be alone. It's just not good for man to be alone. Relationships ultimately protect us from being self-centered. You see, when self rules, God doesn't. When self rules, God doesn't. And so God in grace 
created relationships because within them they have the ability to expose how sinful we really are. I've never known how selfish I am until I got married. (laughs) I never knew how selfish I was even beyond that until I had kids. Relationships of any level expose the sinfulness of our heart. And I believe that is a graceful provision of God to tell us we need Him. They expose the sin in our life that inhibits us from the relationship that we ultimately need most. And that's our relationship with Jesus Christ. See, it's not good for man to be alone. And there is no relationship on this earth that will satisfy the longing of your heart. What is intended to do is to reveal to you what you need most. And that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they expose the sin in your life that tells you why you need Him. Because only He can provide the provision through the sacrifice on the cross that is necessary for the forgiveness of your sins. And only when you're in that relationship with Him can you experience the fullness of the relationships with others that He has created you for, having been made in His image. Now this is just the beginning. But this is important because it lays the foundation for everything that we will walk through together from this point on. And we'll talk about how the reality of sin really messes things up. And we need to talk about what effect that has and what we do in response to that. We'll talk about the practical applications that the Bible is full of and how we experience the fullness of what He created. But it doesn't make sense unless we come back to the foundation of what He did to begin with when it was brought into fruition by His creative hand. It has a purpose. And that purpose is redemption in mind. Let me pray for us. God, what an incredible truth. And we are only scratching the surface of how amazing you are. To you be the glory and honor and praise. I see your love and grace all over this. Because everything that you've created ultimately is intended to portray, point, reveal your love for us so that we find our forgiveness in you. How incredible you are. And how amazing that that you have held so high this marriage relationship and delegated it to be that place that portrays most vividly the love that you have through your Son, Jesus Christ, having sacrificed His life for the sake of us, the church who put our faith and trust in you. Wow. May we carry this on through the week, unpack it even further, just dive in deep to the fullness of what you have in store for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.